Uh, Tis the season to be on spiritual steroids. You guys know what I mean? No. Look at you all. What are you talking about? No, I, yeah, spiritual steroids. This is like the season. Like, um, you know, you know what I do this season. Maybe you guys do this too. Like, uh, like I'm, I'm pretty charitable throughout the year, but I give a little bit more this season, right? Because it's Advent season. Um, I don't know about you guys. Um, before I was a pastor, uh, during Advent season, it would be the time when I would come to church regularly. Like, I'd make sure I was always at church all five weeks or however many weeks it was going to be. Um, spiritual steroids, like a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I tell people at work, I'd say, hey, I'm going to collect stuff. I'm going to collect stuff. I'm going to give it away. Uh, will you do that? And they'd say, why? And I'd be like, because I'm a Christian. And this is Advent. This is Advent season right now. Uh, and so during Advent, I want to make sure I'm giving, I'm giving of myself and giving to people. And so I always say, like, tis the season for spiritual steroids. I'm not even going to get into the whole, um, you know, we're buying gifts and we're going to visit family and all the rest because uh, the truth of the matter is, like, that for me was never a thing. It was always a thing where I was like, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to dig in my heels this season, and I'm going to remember that there is a God who comes in, in, in the form of a child, and that's coming soon. And then I'm going to dig in my heels this season, and I'm going to, I'm going to get excited because there is a God who is going to come back. There's a Jesus who's coming back, right? And so this is the season of Advent, and I'm on spiritual steroids. And I think this is a good thing. Anybody else do this or feel this way? Am I the only one? Thank you, Lindsay. And you, me and Lindsay. That's just us. So, but, but, but you know, I, I think there's times in our life, maybe it's not Advent for you, but there are other times where we dig in and we say, this is the gospel, this is the thing that I have, this is the thing that I believe, and, 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 and this is how it works out in my worldview. And when I read scripture, this is the way I see it, and this is how it all happens, and nothing is going to change that. There's nothing that's going to change how I feel about it, or what I think, or what I believe, or what I see. This is it right now. And this time of year does that to me. That's a good thing, like I said. But, but it can also leave us trapped. It can also leave us trapped. We get trapped sometimes by our gospel. We get trapped sometimes by our world view. We get trapped sometimes about uh, the way we read scripture and, and the reason that we worship a God or don't worship a God. We get trapped by all that. And so maybe some of us during this time are digging in our heels and saying, like, this is great, it's Advent. But others of us dig in our heels and we say, this is uh, what, what God says. This is how it, how it looks. And I'm going to dig in and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to think about a God who might who might just surprise me in different ways. Maybe could surprise in some interesting ways. I don't know. Anybody ever feel trapped by this gospel? Trapped by your thinking? Trapped by the way things work? I do. I definitely do. So what I want us to do in this Advent season is, is I want to free ourselves from being trapped. I want to start to think about God. I want to start to think in this Advent season. Instead of digging in my heels and being on spiritual steroids, I want to be surprised. That's what I want to be. I want to be surprised. So I'm going to ask you to get surprised with me. Okay? I'm going to ask you to be surprised with me about a God who we pray every week does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. I want us to really believe that, to be surprised by that. But first we have to undo ourselves we have to stop being trapped. I know about six years ago, I was a teacher, and I went to this small group, and it was a great small group that I went to. And uh, there was this girl in our small group, and she was nice, and she was funny, and she was an articulate woman, and she thought I was going to hell. Like, absolutely thought I was going to hell. Um, in our small group, she'd say things like, um, we need to deport all the immigrants because they're taking away American values, and she would say stuff like, um, you know, Sharia law is upon us and, and, you know, we have to make sure that we fight against Muslims and this and that. And 
kind of disconcerting, like really disconcerting stuff. And I remember one time she, I, I, I took out my Bible and she's like, is that the King James Version? And I was like, no. And she's like, then put it away because God doesn't use any other version besides the King James. And I was like, I was like, oh, okay. And then what do you do? So I, well, I, 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 was, I was a teacher and she sent me an email and she said, hey, listen, Jesus is coming back. Uh, you know how I know? Because I know that in your school, in Philadelphia schools, they're teaching evolution. And you need, to, you need to make sure you get ready. Jesus is coming back to judge the quick and the dead. And so the next time I saw her, I said to her, hey, listen, listen, you're a really nice person. And you're, and you're funny and you're articulate and everything else. I said, but I can't help but think, like, you know, based on what you believe, like, like 0.001% of the population is ever going to experience God's love. Like, that just goes against what I, what I believe. And she looks at me and she goes, what do you believe? So I start talking to her about scripture and about like Jesus and, and the way I see Jesus operating. I talk about the grace that Paul talks about in so many of his letters. And, and she looks at me and she goes, no, 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 you're reading it all wrong. And I said, okay. And finally I said to her, I said, listen, I, I just got to ask one question. When, when did your need to be right trump the love of God? And she thought for a minute and sat for a minute. And she went, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> so here I am. Um, <laughs> anyway, extreme, right? This is extreme. I'm giving you a very extreme example here, but this is what it looks like to be trapped by the gospel. This is what it looks like to be trapped, about, uh, trapped in our own world view. When this church started a couple years ago, uh, there was somebody who came in and, and listened to, to me uh, give a message, and then afterwards said, when are you going to start telling your people that there is no God? I said, what do you mean? He goes, when are you going to start telling people that there's no God, that God is just light, that it's just all about light, and so it doesn't matter what religion you are, it's all about light. And I was like, I'm probably not going to do that. And he goes, he goes uh, what about, you know, Christianity is so oppressive, and you're oppressing people right now, and, and Jesus is intolerant. And I was like, wow, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And then you know, he said all these other things, and he goes, when are you going to just start telling people that Jesus is the light, that, yeah, this Bible, it's a book of, like, myths and everything else. And I was like, I'm not going to say that. And he sat and he thought for a minute. And he said, okay. And then he gave me a hug. And then he left. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> we are trapped by the gospel. We are trapped by our worldview of what the gospel looks like. It's okay. It's hard. It's difficult. I know that there are some people in this room right now. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You cannot shake this feeling that there is a God who is angry with you. There is a God who wants you to toe the line or else even though you've heard all about grace and everything. And I would say if that's the case, then we are trapped. We're trapped by the gospel. I think there are some of us in this room who grew up at a church and the church was incredible and the pastor was incredible and you prayed a certain way and you sang a certain way and did certain things and you spent the rest of your time looking for that place and looking for that, that church. And if that's the case and if that's the only thing that, that, that Christianity means to you, then I would say that we are trapped by the gospel. We're trapped. I think there are many of us here who, who have dealt with this church being an intolerant place and being oppressive and being a place uh, where there has been abuses and it's awful and it's terrible but at the same time we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and so now we're here because somebody sort of makes us come here and, and we don't think that we believe any of this and I would say if that's the case then we are trapped by the gospel. 
It's okay. It's easy to be trapped by our worldview, trapped by our gospel message. It happens. How do we free ourselves up? Well, we first acknowledge that this is really, really hard, that, that, that when we read scripture, it's really, really difficult. And, 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 you know, when I talk about those other people before, I think about myself and all the years I spent, like, reading scripture and praying and, and talking to other people who read scripture and pray and, and, and looking at commentaries and trying to pay attention to what is God telling me here. And I think about all of it and how much it means to me in my life and that if it didn't mean so much, I'd probably just have a little tiny lake house upstate somewhere and let my kids run around, but it means something to me. And I could tell you in the midst of all my thinking and the fact that this is my job, and all that, I too get trapped by the gospel. I have my own worldview, my own ideas, my own culture, my own thoughts, my spiritual steroids, and I pump myself up and I hang on tight. It's hard. Scripture's hard, right? I mean, we have scripture. Of course we're going to have our own worldviews. We're reading scripture in different ways. We're reading it, we look at it, and it looks different to us. I'll give you an example. Like, um, uh, you know, we read scripture on the page. My wife could say to me, for instance, like, um, uh, Jonathan, I lost my phone. Do you know where it is? And because Juby never loses her phone, and I feel bad for her, I could say, I don't know, Juby. I have an idea. Why don't you check the, check the nightstand? Or Juby could say, hey, Jonathan, where's my phone? And Juby always loses her phone, and it's ridiculous, and I'm tired of it. And so I could say, I don't know, Juby. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you check the nightstand? Same words. <laughs> Different context, different worldview. No wonder this stuff is so hard. No wonder, right? No wonder we get caught up. No wonder we get trapped by the gospel. You know what? When we look back at Isaiah, this book of Isaiah, this incredible book, I look at these people of Israel, these incredible people who we learn a ton from, and I see ways in which they have been trapped. I want to pick that apart. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to see how they have been trapped, the lessons they learned, and I want us to use those lessons to understand, to anticipate, to get excited about surprise. And so we just read this Isaiah 40 before, and I have to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background. Isaiah is made up of about three different parts, okay? These three different parts were written over about 150 years, okay? But it's just one book, okay? One book, three, three themes, kind of. So the first theme is actually a really kind of messed up theme. Okay, the first theme is a theme of destruction. And it's a theme where Isaiah comes, prophet Isaiah comes, and says, Israel, you are messed up. You are in bad shape. And so that happens for about 39 chapters. This, this takes place. And it coincides historically with the Babylonian Empire coming down, crushing Judea, crushing Jerusalem, taking Israel's best and brightest people, and making them mix with Babylonians. What does making the mix of Babylonians do? It starts to eradicate their race, right? That's what they want to see happen. So that happens, and then there's this god that the Babylonians worship named Marduk, and Marduk, all these statues of Marduk get thrown up all over Israel, and, and all of a sudden this Hebrew god, the god that has, they've been worshiping, has disappeared completely and is silent for like 150 years. And so this is what the first 39 chapters of, is, of Isaiah sort of um, reflect or come from. They come from this battle, this war, this taking over. Okay, and then all of a sudden, chapter 40 comes. And chapter 40 is kind of a new tone. It sets like a new uh, um, you know, era for, for the people of Israel. It says, okay, you're done. So, so this, this another prophet comes and writes under the name Isaiah and says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. This is great news, right? Sin has been paid for. She's going to receive from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. 
okay, we're turning a we're turning a page here. All right, we're done. We're done with the destruction. We're done with this god Marduk. We're done with our people having to procreate with their people. We're done with all of it. This is going to be great. And then this this prophet continues. All people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, flowers fall, um, but the word of the God of our God endures forever. Now this is okay. Like you would have read this, or, or Israel would have read this, and they would have been like, "This is great. Like this is okay. We did, you know, fail. We did wither. We did fall. That happened to us." But this last line is like a rally cry. It's like, "But the word of God endures forever." So yeah, maybe we're not the warriors we thought we were. Maybe we're not the people who can handle this or, or fight these battles. But God, God's word endures forever. And so our God's going to kick some butt and take some names. Like that's what's going to happen. It's been it's been a long time here. And then it just, it, it, you know, there's talk of the Messiah, and the Messiah comes. And, uh, you know, when you read, like, different commentaries on this, uh, you guys read it earlier, it said that the Messiah comes and he leads people gently, like sheep and all the rest. And most scholars would say, like, they probably just glossed over that part. Like, hmm, I'm not sure what that means. There's a couple of cultural pieces there. But what they were more excited about, which is interesting to me, would be this last part where it says, you brought good news to Zion, you bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice and shout, don't be afraid, here is your God. The sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm and his reward is with him. It's like big, tough, strong language here. You know what this is like? This is like, this is like when, uh, um, you know, when you had a, the bullies growing up and they hung out behind the Carvel and every time you tried to go to 7-Eleven they took your money. Or if they caught you on the way back, they took your Slurpee. Never happened to anybody else. Just me. That happened to me. Anyway. And then all of a sudden, your, your friend's older brother who's on the football team when you're in elementary school goes, I hear about those kids behind Carvel. Are they giving you trouble? And you go, yeah. They are giving me trouble. He goes, I got it. I'm going to do something about it. What do you do? You walk around with confidence. You have swagger. The next time you see the bullies behind Carvel, you're kind of like, take my money this time, but you're in so much trouble. It's going to be so bad for you. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. So we have Israel, okay? And they're part of the Iron Age. If you're part of the Iron Age, it means that you have grown up fighting. All you know is fighting. All you know is one group taking over another group. If you saw the beginning of the movie 300 where they're training little kids with swords and everything else, that's the Iron Age. That's like the epitome of the Iron Age. So you grow up and you know how to fight. It's what you do. Clans come and they raid your area. You go and you raid their area. People are killed. There's violence. It's normal. It's the way you live. And so this prophet comes along and and says... You know, the God is your strong and mighty arm and says that, that your reward is with, is with him and it comes with power. Well, what are you thinking? You're thinking in your context. You're thinking in your worldview. You're thinking, well, there's going to be a warrior who's going to come. There's going to be a warrior who's going to come and kill people so that, you know, the Babylonians will go away. There's going to be a warrior who makes sure that we take over this whole world and we're going to be pretty powerful. That's what your worldview tells you. That's what you think. That would mean you'd be trapped by the gospel. Because what happens? What happens? This baby comes, right? This baby comes born in the backwoods of some big empire. And then this kid is just silent for like 30 years. Like there's a couple instances where this kid might teach in the temple. But otherwise, this kid is just growing up to learn how to be a carpenter. So this carpenter, you know, after a few years shows up. And says, I'm the Messiah. And everybody goes, yes, 
All right, are you going to be like the Robin Hood type? You know, are you going to be like, you know, are you going to be like the Patriot, like William Wallace? What kind of Messiah are you going to be? Are you going to go crazy and just start bowing everybody? And this, this Jesus goes, I'm the Messiah, but you know, I'm like, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit, huh? We can get behind that message. <laughs> blessed are the ones who knock, you know, like, I'm not really about the whole battle thing. How devastating. How incredibly devastating that sounds. I'm the Messiah, but eh, we're not going to fight. It'd be like my friend's football playing brother, you know, going back behind the Carvel and being like, hey guys, Slurpees for all of you. That's what it would be like. Jonathan, come here and give, give them your money. Go ahead. Go do that. That's what this is like. And when you're trapped by your worldview, when you are trapped by your worldview, that is devastating. When you are surprised, when you are surprised by what God does, the unimaginable things that God does, this is probably the best thing that could ever happen. It becomes amazing. It becomes beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. Like we pray every single week, right? It changes everything. Have we lost our element of surprise this Advent season? Are we trapped by the gospel this Advent season? Do we have this certain worldview that says, this is the way things are going to happen, this is the God that I have in my life, and nothing's going to look any different? Or can we actually practice the discipline of being surprised? You remember surprise? Remember it? Remember when, uh, you, well, you know, do you guys ever get to watch kids open up gifts? You ever get to watch that? We, we, like, we like watching it, right? Because the kids' faces, it's like this surprise thing is amazing. They're like, oh, you know, like, I love it. How about uh, you ever watch the, the videos where, the, where the, these incredible soldiers, they come back and they surprise their families? Have you ever seen these? They may, they, I, thinking about them, I start to get a little teary. Like, like seriously. But why? Because it's amazing. It's awesome. It's like, that would, that would, nobody ever expected that. And then, and then they're reunited and it's incredible. It's really, really cool. And, and yet that can happen in life, but it can't happen with our God for some reason. For some reason we're trapped. This Advent season, what if we practice the discipline of being surprised by what God's doing? By what God's up to? Being surprised by the fact that God not only does the unthinkable by sending this peaceful this inclusive, this, 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 this incarnate God that loves, but does it so that we can be here today, right? Like we can worship today, that we can have grace today, mercy today. That's surprising. And yet he won't do that again? Of course he will. How? How can we practice surprise? All right, so uh, my guess is that some of us in this room today feel hopeless about something. Something. Job situation. No relationship, you've been working hard, you want to be in a relationship, it's not happening, your kids are not doing well, there's something going on where, where you don't, don't even know if you can live here any longer, you're getting kicked out of your apartment, I don't know what it might be, there's something that has made you feel hopeless, and you've covered all your angles and all your bases, and you're like, this is it. What if we practice the discipline of surprise? What if we really believe that there is a God doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine? How might that change you? I have a confession. I have a relationship that needs to be fixed in my life. Like badly. Really badly. It's a family relationship. And I don't want to. I don't want to fix it. Um, I don't want to fix it because it's going to be so hard. And most of the days I think I'd rather not have to be in this relationship any longer. 
and um, it's painful. And I started writing this message, and I was like, God, why do you always speak? And it made me, <laughs> it made me realize that maybe I'm just kind of looking within my own context, right? Within my own worldview, within my own thought, within my, what if I just allow this maybe to be surprising, to let God work in ways that are surprising? Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you have a similar relationship. Let's walk together. Let's be surprised. Let's pray for surprise. What if we're on the train and the person next to us is listening to really bad music really loud and we can hear it through their headphones and it's annoying and somebody won't move their bags and it's packed out? How do we pray for those people in a way that says, God, surprise me by what you'll do through them? Surprise me. Maybe church is really hard. Maybe Christianity is really hard. Maybe this whole God thing is really hard and and you you are stuck on these ideas, the ones that we talked about earlier. What if you start praying that God would change your heart and surprise you in some incredible ways? You know, this past week, we had the news of Eric Garner and the non-indictment. And I don't know about you, it it was on somebody's phone. It's there. You see what's going on. Not like you can't see it, and I just thought to myself, like this is terrible. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. This system is more than broken. I'm like beside myself. Like this is just messed up. Like this is what what is going on here? And 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 I thought, uh, you know, I'm a white person with white privilege, and I'm like, how many of of me don't get this and can't understand it? And how big is this divide? And 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 what are we are what are we supposed to do about this? And I was like, this thing's hopeless. It's just hopeless. This is always going to be the way it is. And then you know, God, whatever, speaking to me. And I'm like, what if God's telling us right now? No, no, hang on. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised because I am at work through you, through your church, through us, and I'm working to surprise you all. And I'm working to bring equality and I'm working to bring, uh, to eradicate injustice and I'm using you and bringing surprise in ways that are going to, are going to free oppressed in, in every way possible. And it starts right now. Are you ready to be surprised? I think that's what God's saying. Advent is spectacular. Not because there's lights and because, you know, we're on spiritual steroids and we give a little bit more, all the rest. Heaven is spectacular because God shows up as this little child in the backwoods in the most controversial and and, and disappointing and, and, you know, terrifying and upsetting of ways. And it's also life-changing. And it makes all the difference, and it's the reason we're here today, and that is Advent. And so are you ready with me, this Advent, to break free? Are you ready to practice the discipline of surprise? Let's pray. God, I don't believe that you can do all that. You say you can most of the time, and, uh, and so for that I ask forgiveness. And I ask that you would use us, God. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help, you know, God, use us to surprise other people. God, work outside of our worldview, work outside of our context, work outside of everything that we know and just make us bow down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We pray that you do this today, starting right now, right here. Amen.